This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas and educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. How do teachers learn to teach? My guests today, Maria Teresa Tato and Ian Mentor, discuss the many ways to become a teacher in England and the USA, and the policy environment that is currently shaping practice. There are now 38 different ways in which you can become a teacher in England. So it's quite a, a myriad of routes uh, compared with what it was in the uh, last part of the 20th century. Learning to be a teacher, they argue, requires much more than simply having a lot of content knowledge. Just because you may know math really well does not mean that you would be a good teacher. Teaching is a skill that must be systematically learned and practiced. You know, in order to become a teacher, you need years of study and years of practice and to learn how to really address the learning needs of diverse students. It's not a simple question of learning a bit of theory, a bit of subject knowledge, and developing a bit of skill. Together with Catherine Byrne, Trevor Mutton, and Ian Thompson, Teresa and Ian have a new co-written book entitled Learning to Teach in England and the United States, The Evolution of Policy and Practice, which was published by Routledge earlier this year. Maria Teresa Tato is a professor in the Division of Educational Leadership and Innovation at Arizona State University and the Southwest Borderlands Professor of Comparative Education at the Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College. Ian Mentor is Emeritus Professor of Teacher Education at the University of Oxford and a fellow at the Academy of Social Sciences. Maria Teresa Tato and Ian Mentor, welcome to Fresh Ed. Thank you, uh, Will. I'm very happy uh, to be here talking with you about our book. And so am I. I happen to be in Arizona with Maria Teresa at the moment, so we're close together, but uh, talking to you quite a long way away. I want to jump into your new book. Congratulations, by the way. Um, You know, thinking about the different pathways that um, one can become a teacher in England and the USA. So, you know, what are the different ways that people become teachers in England? Well, in England, um, traditionally, during the second half of the 20th century, they would um, apply to a university or college and uh, seek to enter either a one-year graduate program or a three or four year degree program uh, and qualify as a teacher if they got through that program successfully. But over the last 20 or 30 years we've seen many new pathways opening up which some of which don't involve universities in the way that the traditional programs did and some of which are actually employment based so that uh, beginning teachers are employed by a school rather than being registered with a university and so in fact a colleague of ours calculated that there are now 38 different ways in which you can become a teacher in England so it's quite a uh, a myriad of routes uh, compared with what it was in the uh, last part of the 20th century. And how does that compare to the USA? Um, in the US, in contrast with England, uh, close to 80% of those who want to become teachers enroll in traditional routes in uh, colleges of education, in higher education institutions. 
Um, in the mid-1990s, the uh, so-called alternative routes uh, began to emerge, and uh, we now have about you know 20% of the teachers who become teachers enroll in those routes. For example, the most notable are uh, Teach for America um, or the ABCTE program, of, uh, the program of the American Board for the Certification of Teacher Excellent. Um, uh, excellence and also the TNTP uh, teaching fellows, for instance, they operate in several states in in the U.S. There are other more local programs, but you know, in general, to answer your question, most still enroll uh, and become teachers through traditional routes. And so, these alternative routes, like Teach for America, this is where uh, one would receive a teaching certification outside of teacher colleges? Uh, well, some uh, Teach for America students cooperate with colleges, um, so th there, there is a joint collaboration there. Uh, however, there are other possibilities in which uh, there is a short uh, period of preparation uh, in comparison to the traditional routes and, uh, uh, you know, people can become certified to become a teacher. In England, the situation is is quite similar in that uh, in most routes, although there are a great number of them, most routes have some involvement of a university or a higher education institution. There are very few teachers still who actually qualify without any engagement with higher education. But the contribution, the kind of proportional contribution of higher education has been reduced on a number of these new routes. And Ian, is, is there something like Teach for America in England? Yes, indeed. We have our very own Teach First program, which started um, in 2002 and has expanded steadily since then. It was originally modelled on Teach for America, but is, is quite different in many uh, particular respects. Um, it's taking now um, somewhere between one and two thousand entrants every year it's moved into the primary school sector as well as the secondary school sector but it retains its original aim of uh, placing uh, bright young trainee teachers in schools which are facing major challenges and seeking not only to produce great teachers but to have an impact on those schools and improve the quality of education there. So it's always been an ambitious program and there have been some very successful uh, teachers who have emerged from it, but it has um, quite seriously challenged the role of the university in uh, pre preparing people for teaching. Overall, how are teachers, are, are people who are joining the teaching force, is that number increasing or decreasing in, in the USA and in England? Well, in the, in the US, uh, uh, it's uh, decreasing. Um, in, um, I will quote uh, you know, something from a survey, a national survey of college freshmen. In 2016, the number of students who say they will major in education has reached its lowest point in 45 years. Um, in uh, ju just 4.2 percent intend to major in education, which is a typical first step to becoming a teacher. Compared to 11 percent in the year 2000, 10 percent in 1990, and 11 percent in 1971. So this is this is a this is a decrease. 
uh, in part uh, due um, to um, I, I, conditions in schools after a uh, number of reforms that have made testing mandatory and um, have introduced accountability models in schools. Um, teachers um, uh, seem to be very stressed about this situation and change actually the working conditions that they have in the schools. And in England, um, we are currently facing a decline in the number of people applying for teaching. Indeed, the government is continuing to spend quite a lot of money on promoting teaching as a profession with national advertising campaigns. I mean, the common view held by many teachers and by the teacher unions is that uh, potential applicants have increasingly been put off the idea of teaching uh, because of the uh, policy changes that have impacted on the profession, including some of the same things that Teresa was just talking about. I mean, the, the amount of bureaucracy now in teaching, the amount of testing, the amount of inspection, uh, all these things are uh, creating a, a workload which is not only very large but is also fairly stressful and so unfortunately we are seeing a number of people uh, not applying who might otherwise but then of course I'm, I expect you're going to ask us Will about the retention as well because that's become a big issue as well Get, keeping people in the profession once they have joined it. So what are the retention numbers in the profession? Well, in, in England, we have had some fairly uh, horrendous r figures recently about uh, the number of people who are no longer in the profession after five years after qualifying. It's approaching 50% of those who enter a teacher education course will have left, will not be in teaching five years after uh, completing their teacher education program, which of course is a hugely uh, expensive undertaking uh, means a lot of money is really being wasted but it's a, a, a sad reflection of how people are not finding teaching to be the the kind of um, fulfilling occupation that they had hoped for. Yeah the situation uh, is similar in the US um, you know about 50 percent of the people who graduate from programs uh, stay in the in the teaching profession after five three five years of teaching and uh, this is worse in the areas that uh, we call STEM, where people have opportunities to go and get uh, better and higher paid uh, positions with the you know, kind of knowledge that they have. If they are good in math, in science, they are likely to be able to get uh, you know, into better careers and they are more remunerated, better remunerated. Is this simply a function of the, the policy reforms that have happened that, you know, focusing on accountability and, and teaching to the test? Well, in the case of England, I, I don't think it's the only factor. I mean, there's pay as well, and teachers' pay has not kept pace with inflation, for example, and so there's been some disenchantment around uh, pay levels. But more generally, I think... Um, we have to look at the wider economic situation and Teresa just mentioned people who have degrees for example in in science or mathematics being able to find more uh, lucrative and probably less stressful occupations outside of teaching this is as uh, similar in England people are 
able to make choices and if uh, there are opportunities that will reduce the stress or pay better then I'm afraid people may go for it. This all sounds very negative, I realise that, but we must balance it partially by saying in spite of these factors there are people in the profession who are actually enjoying their work and are doing a very good job. People who have found ways of um, living with the demands, uh, contemporary demands of the profession and still find it fulfilling, uh, partly through promoting their subject, I guess, in particularly in secondary or high schools, but also through the fulfilment of actually feeling they're making some kind of difference for the young people that they're teaching. So let's not all be doom and gloom. We just have to find ways of making it more possible for more of the people who are entering the profession to get that kind of fulfilment out of their work. In the US, well, policy um, introduced, had the effect of introducing increased assessments, uh, you know, testing of pupils and uh, um, uh, heavy demands in teachers' work. Um, it also had the unfortunate effect of changing public opinion about the worth and value of teachers um, to the point in which, you know, that uh, public opinion does also have an influence on how teachers themselves perceive their worth to be. Um, however, I agree with, with Ian in terms of uh, the large number of teachers who are in the schools doing a good job and enjoying, enjoying teaching, uh, but when you talk to teachers and, you know, the, the teachers in our book, um, there, is a, there are several trends that you can see and some of those trends are, you know, the, the workload and the, the, the uh, compliance with the standards and um, having to prepare pupils for the test, which seems to um, rest some of the en enjoyment of teaching, you know, the discovery of creativity and so on that teachers enjoy, enjoy doing with their students. Our book is based on work in England and in the USA, but if you do look at some other countries, it's clear that it doesn't have to be like this. And the, the example that most people refer to is Finland, where um, there can be up to 10 people applying for one place on a teacher education program. And that seems to relate very much to the point that Teresa's just made about the public standing of the teaching profession. Teaching is a very highly regarded profession in Finland. It's a profession that can only be entered through a master's level uh, entry program, uh, which will involve uh, sustained study in university as well as sustained uh, experience in a school setting. So, you know, there are some significant international differences and comparisons to be made. And um, uh, England and USA probably have more similarities in this respect than they have differences. And we have to look elsewhere to see some other examples of how things could be different. Yeah, you know, as an example, and just to say a little bit more, the, this policy of uh, No Child Left Behind um, did change the, the idea about uh, what a qualified teacher means. And uh, basically by changing that idea, which, um, you know, the, the policy defined a qualified teacher as somebody who knows this, the subject very well, 
and 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 you know the, the assumption is that they can go into schools and teach people who enter the the profession under under that model do not need to have a lo long years of experience in the school for example the internship that teachers get in universities uh, or they don't need to have a large uh, you know introduction to psychology to to pedagogical techniques and uh, to what is called the pedagogical content knowledge so by by saying that you know knowledgeable people can become teachers um, those again the value uh, the, the the you know the teachers who have become teachers through the traditional roots and also the teachers who are already in the profession whose then whose knowledge is not seen as important or as valuable as it could be it's kind of the professionalizing you know the notion of a teacher which is what what Ian was saying you know the the notion that you know, in order to become a teacher, you need years of study and years of practice and to learn how to really address the learning needs of diverse students. Right. I mean, it's, it's interesting to think that so long as you, say, are good at math, then you are assumed that you will be a good teacher, as if teaching isn't this skill that takes years of practice and experience and learning and you know I mean I can it's it's quite amazing to think about what is a qualified teacher and how it's been so sort of skewed and narrowed um, to just this content knowledge. I mean if we could perhaps refer to the research in our book at this point um, what that particularly I think demonstrates the research we did there is actually just building on the point you just made, how complex the process of learning to be a teacher is. It's not a simple question of learning a bit of theory, a bit of subject knowledge, and developing a bit of skill. It's about all of those things, but in interaction with each other. And what we found in looking at uh, beginning teachers learning to teach, both in England and in the USA, is that the relationships that the young or early career teacher, the beginning teacher experiences in the school setting and in the university setting are just as important as the factual knowledge or the skill development that they may experience. So I think the, a key message of our book is that teacher education needs to be very, very carefully planned Co cooperatively between all of those who have responsibility. So that is the staff in the university, the faculty there, but it's also the teachers in schools. And it's also about helping the beginning teacher to understand the challenges that they're going to be facing while they're going through the process. So if all of that's achieved, and we did have examples of very successful practice in our research, if all of that's achieved, we can actually uh, enable beginning teachers to learn effectively and, in fact, to get fulfillment out of their future teaching. In the U.S., for example, the, the population here is changing dramatically. You know, you, we have a population of children who come from different backgrounds, who need special attention sometimes, and, you know, having teachers prepare you know, in a very brief manner, doesn't really equip those teachers with the kinds of knowledge and skills that they need to address the needs of the kids who are underserved, who need teachers the most. Um, so that's, that's a very specialized type of, type of work, 
which is recognized in other countries such as Finland, uh, and uh, receives not much recognition uh, on their, you know, the current trends uh, in U.S. and in England. I mean, it seems like the idea of uh, teach for America or teach first in England would be counter to a lot of what you're saying about this in-depth knowledge that needs to be gained through years of learning and years of practice teaching. Um, so, I mean, it, it almost seems like Teach for America and Teach First are, 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 are sort of the polar opposite of what you're talking about. I, I should say that, um, you know, observing the Teach First in England and the Teach for America in the, in the U.S., actually these two approaches are different in the way that they are implemented. So the, in the case that I observe in, in England, which is the one that we report in our, in our book, um, the support for teachers in Teach First is very carefully planned. Uh, mentors are very attentive. Um, they have gone through the program themselves and they know the, the, the population of children that uh, are in these schools and the needs that the kids have. Uh, in Teach for America, it seems to be a less carefully um, planned model, especially what happens in the schools. Uh, they, have it, they have been trying to change things a little by thinking of teachers as leaders. But as Ian was saying, if you don't plan carefully the experiences that teachers are going to have in the schools and you don't have a, a mentor and, and a structured model that will support these beginning teachers, they have a really, really hard time to the point that they really just stay for two years and then they drop out. I did see in England also teachers having a really hard time with Teach First, but the difference that I saw there is the support that the, that particular school, I cannot talk for Teach First, I think Ian could talk you know, in general in England, but at least in the school that I observed, um, the, the whole school model, the whole support was uh, structured and carefully planned to support these beginning teachers. And still they did have challenges and, and, and problems. It was still quite stressful. Yeah, so I, I agree with Teresa. I wouldn't see Teach First as a polar opposite to uh, good practice in teacher education because, well, particularly in England, because it is carefully structured and it does have involvement of uh, study of education as well as practice of education. Uh, there are two additional points, though, that I would make. One is Teach First has the uh, advantage, if you like, of of actually recruiting very, very um, talented and enthusiastic people. There's a very rigorous selection process for Teach First, and that's something, if we had more people applying for teaching onto other programs in England, we would dearly love to be able to pursue. So you get very strong people coming into the Teach First program. And as I said earlier, there are some very, very successful teachers who've come through in through Teach First. But, as Teresa just mentioned, I mean, there is no obligation on people coming in through Teach First to do more than two years, a training year and then one year of teaching. So, actually, again, 50% of those Teach First entrants leave after their 
second year of the program when they uh, have finished the formal part of the program. So again, it makes it a, a rather expensive and almost indulgent way of entering the teaching profession. Uh, many of them go off to other careers at that point, having done two years of what might be seen as public service in in the school uh, state school teaching sector, go off into careers, for example, in, in back, banking or other aspects of finance. So, you know, there are very positive features of Teach First, but it still has many uh, problems. And it's interesting to me, uh, who worked in Scotland as well as England, that until this point, at least, Scotland has um, resisted approaches by Teach First to start up there. They don't see it as a a fully legitimate way of entering the teaching profession because of the kind of fast-track nature of the program. What about in Finland? Is there anything similar to Teach First or Teach for America in Finland? I believe there is not. There are, te there are teach uh, similar programs in something like 30 countries now. Uh, teach for India, Teach for Australia, etc. But as far as I'm aware, Theresa, you're confirming that Finland yeah. has not adopted that approach. It does go against the, the whole idea of what a teacher should be. Uh, in Finland, there is something that they call the science of education. Um, and within the university, preparing teachers is recognized, you know, education is recognized as one of the disciplines in the university, which is a status that is different than it has, say, in England. Uh, or even here in, in the U.S. So, you know, education is at the par with other disciplines. And so preparing teachers is seen you know, as, a, as an equally important endeavor as preparing doctors or preparing engineers. How do these sort of alternative pathways compare to the university internship model that you've explored at I think it was Michigan State University and Oxford University. The um, idea of the Oxford internship scheme, which has some similarities with Michigan State, as you'll hear from Teresa in a moment, the idea was first um, implemented way back in the early 1980s, when for the first time in England, we had a very sustained collaborative development of a teacher education program involving not just the university and not just local schools but also the local education authority the the local council that had yeah, that at that time had uh, uh, management responsibility for schools so the program was developed collaboratively and for the first time really we had a, a fully sustained partnership between those different partners which involved systematic and prolonged training and debate and discussion between the partners so that the whole program was developed as a cooperative activity and it had a principle of learning through inquiry built into it right from the outset. It's very much a kind of research-based and research-informed approach. It became recognised and still is recognised as one of the most successful teacher education programmes in England. It's been rated very highly whenever it has been inspected 
and it's recognised throughout the professional community, teachers and teacher educators, as a very effective programme. It has to be said it's a relatively small programme, taking fewer than 200 new people each year and only working at the moment with secondary school, intending secondary school teachers. But it has been very successful and it was one of the two main programmes we looked at in this book. We looked at two programmes which we believed did have uh, a track record of success uh, in the sense of trying to explore what happens in a pra in a situation where practice is generally recognised to be very successful. Yeah, the, the program at Michigan State University is also a program that is very much research-based. And in the late 80s, um, there was a big effort to create a partnership. In fact, there was some um, influence from the Oxford model into Michigan State University except that uh, MSU actually went a little bit further to develop uh, what is called professional development schools. Uh, the home group uh, reports, the series of three reports that imagine or reimagine what it would be you know, to have a different model to prepare teachers and a different, a different idea of what a teacher should be, um, it, it really um, inspire uh, a movement to uh, to create a teacher education program that was based in a strong partnerships in the schools, where also similar as to what uh, what Ian was saying, um, to have a a, a color, collaborative role between the people in the school, the faculty, and universities, where everybody will, you know, benefit in order to support the the learning of future teachers, where faculty and teachers together research their own practice so that they will document how they were attempting preparing uh, attempting to prepare teachers and what was working was what was not working there was a whole um, scholarship that came out of the 1980s 1990s documenting you know what it was like to 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 prepare future teachers where teachers were like in the mid 90s uh, conceived as learners and once that, uh, you know, that switch happened, thinking of teachers as learners, um, there was just this explosion of, you know, ideas and, you know, trying to understand teacher thinking um, and, and, you know, what it was like to, to um, take on the role of a teacher, uh, you know, the identity and so on. So the, the, the programs at Michigan State University have maintained for... 22 years in a row or more, the reputation of being the best program in the nation in preparing elementary and secondary teachers. And the U.S. News and World Report just came out, you know, saying again, stating again that we're, you know, at the top of the list as well uh, this year. So it's a, it's, a, it's a very strong model, you know, in terms of partnership. Um, the, the internship in the Michigan State, Michigan State University model, to, to answer your question about the difference between Teach First internship uh, uh, and the Michigan State internship model, is, uh, is very carefully designed uh, in terms of um, the collaboration that exists between the university. The last year, for example, at Michigan State is a five-year program. 
So in the fifth year, the interns spend a full year in school, except for one day that they go to university. And uh, for one day that they go to university. And that day, there is a day of planning, reflection, and thinking about what they are going to do on the subsequent weeks. So they actually, you know, plan what they are going to teach, how they are going to teach it, uh, how they are going to reflect on their teaching, how they are going to evaluate their pupils to see whether they learn what is intended. And many of them actually videotape themselves doing this, and they are quite critical about their own performance, and they write papers about what they could improve. The, the mentors in, um, in the model, in the Michigan State models, um, you know, are... Um, carefully selected in most of the cases to be, you know, mentors who are aligned with the Michigan State model or who have been uh, teachers themselves prepared by the Michigan State University model. Uh, in cases where the mentorship doesn't work well, sometimes it's because, you know, pressures in the school or because the, the mentors themselves have not been prepared through the Michigan State University model. Do you think it's possible to scale the Michigan State University model and the Oxford model to more pre-service teacher training, teacher education in England and in the U.S.? I mean, is that a feasible goal? I think it could. I I mean, in a sense, these two programs have had a significant influence in both countries. Certainly in England, the Oxford internship scheme was one of those that um, inspired, if you like, the move towards systematic partnership between schools and universities that did sweep across teacher education in the 1990s in England. Um, you know, there were very positive moves about recognising the contribution of schools to teacher education, which had been seriously undervalued. Uh, in the conventional models that I talked about right early on in this discussion. So I do think um, there's been a lot of learning. And, of course, we have looked from Oxford to learn from other colleagues, both in England and internationally over the years as well. Things have not stood still. On the question of scaling up, I don't see any reason why the principles of a scheme like the Oxford one shouldn't be more widely adopted. Um, They're not particularly expensive. They're not, I mean, we run on the same resource as uh, programs elsewhere in the country. Um, What I would say, however, is it does take time to really develop the uh, knowledge and expertise within the professional community in the university and the schools to uh, see the benefits of such an integrated scheme. So one shouldn't expect sort of immediate overnight success. On the other hand, if you see something that seems to work very consistently and very well, why not learn from it? And rather than throwing out babies with bathwaters, it's rather an English colloquialism that, but uh, rather than to to sort of overturn practice that is good in a number of places, why not learn from what is best and build on that? And just one final comment. I mean, we've suffered recently in England from this very short-sighted notion of teaching as simply being about uh, enthusiasm for a subject and being able to convey it 
and the idea of learning as an apprenticeship, uh, as simply as an apprenticeship. Well, you know, there is an element of apprenticeship in becoming a teacher. There's no doubt that one learns from experienced teachers, but it's very clear to us, and the research in the book shows this very clearly, that is not enough. There is a very complex and challenging program of learning that has to be carefully structured and planned to be fully effective, and that takes time, care and consideration. And I think we could learn a great deal from these kinds of schemes. The same, no doubt, Teresa, with your scheme in Michigan. Yes, well, the, the model, the Michigan State University model, um, actually I have written about this with my colleague, colleague uh, Janet Stewart, about the model for the, for the teacher education for the 21st century. You know, it was something that, you know, expanding teacher education from four years to five years to having a more, you know, selective criteria to, um, for, entrance, for entrance into the program and then to carefully uh, develop a curriculum that will allow teachers to progress, uh, seeing, seeing becoming a teacher as a developmental process which actually aligns very closely now with what we call the in-task standards as we document uh, in, in the book. So the, the, the model has been an inspiration to many programs in the nation, and uh, it has already, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's something that several programs have tried to, to develop in their own in their own, um, you know, institutions, including the development of professional schools uh, that um, exist still in several parts of, of the country. Um, the idea of having faculty research their own practice, uh, you still you see this in, in several, you know, presentations in several places, different faculty, um, reflecting on what it takes to, you know, to prepare teachers. And the... But I will say that the model of, of partnership and the kind of partnership that both uh, Oxford University and Michigan State University aspire to is very challenging in the current era of standards and accountability because, as Ian said, it takes time, it takes a lot of effort, uh, it takes effort from teacher educators to concentrate on what the important task of preparing teachers is, but now accountability demands require teacher educators to do other things in addition to uh, to teach future teachers. You know, it becomes a more bureaucratic procedure, collect data about how your program is doing. And it's not, like, it's not that programs have, uh, you know, ever avoided accountability. Programs have been very good at keeping track of you know their their successes and their failures, but increasing layers of requirements, increasing accountability uh, procedures, does take away from the, the work of teacher educators. In addition, um, in sometimes in universities, the work that teacher education faculty does is not as valued, um, and you know especially if that is you know, connected with the schools. So spending a lot of time in schools is something that, you know, takes time away from doing research, from publishing, and for those, you know, traditionally valued standards that university has. So, you know, things have to change 
in universities in order for these models to flourish in the way in which they, they were planned. At the moment in which faculty care more about publications and about doing research than spending time in schools with teachers and with mentors and, and you know, just observing and nurturing these beginning teachers, at that moment this idea of the partnership uh, you know, is, begins to fail. Um, so there are, there are a number of things that need to be in place for, for this type of models to, to, to be scalable. Well, Maria Teresa Tato and Ian Mentor, thank you so much for joining Fresh Ed. It's a pleasure to talk. Thank you, Will. It's been good talking to you and uh, very interesting to have this discussion. Many thanks. Thank you, Will. I was so much looking forward to this uh, interview and I'm just very happy that we had this exchange. It's a wonderful work that you do. Maria Teresa Tato is a professor at Arizona State University. And Ian Mentor is an emeritus professor at the University of Oxford. Their new co-written book is entitled Learning to Teach in England and the United States. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed. If you've liked what you've heard today, please rate us on iTunes. It really does help. Fresh Ed is made possible through listener donations. Please consider becoming a member of Fresh Ed by visiting freshedpodcast.com slash support. Fresh Ed's producers are Sherry Yang, Yuval Devere, Hong Zong, and Lushik Waba. Aggie Hu is Fresh Ed's social media coordinator, and original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brim, and I'll be back next week.